Okay, so you are back for episode two, and I'm very excited for that. That means I didn't scare you off with the first episode. You know, I did a lot of speaking about myself, but like I said, that is not the norm. I just wanted to really give you a general overview of who I am, where I'm coming from, what is the point of the show, and obviously what my goal is in creating this content. So today, what we're going to speak about is the Bible. Now, the Bible is just one of those things, you know, it is a very controversial, con- excuse me, controversial topic. And it, you know, more so than anything in Christianity, people say that, oh, okay, you're a Christian, whatever, cool. All right, you know, whatever. That's just like saying, you know, um, I am a blank fan, you know, whatever sports team, whatever it is, it's like a general thing. But once you start to speak about the Bible now, now this starts of sets you apart. This is not just, you know, labeling as a Christian by culture. This is actually saying that you actually believe the fundamental teachings and you are, you know, really into what this book says. Now, that's where you'll get attacked. Like, no one's going to attack you for saying that you're Christian, right? But they will attack you for saying that you believe in the Bible or that you follow the Bible or you want to speak about the Bible, right? So, really, there is no separating the Bible from Christianity because without the Bible, there is actually no Christianity, Now, you might say, well, you know, that's kind of crazy because I thought Christianity was all about Jesus. Well, yes, that is true. However, everything in the Bible really points towards Jesus. So the Bible is there as your guide, your compass towards Jesus. For example, in the Old Testament, all the uh, prophecies and everything pointing towards Jesus. Now, those people in those days, the reason why that they were able to start, you know, Peter and, and, and all those guys, how they were able to just give up their whole life and follow this guy, this preacher, this this teacher, this prophet, whatever you want to say, is because they had the Old Testament scriptures to look forward to, to say, wow, confirm this is the Messiah. This is who the one that we're going to follow. Now there's debates over that. We'll get into that at another time. But basically it is the, well, in their case, it, they, the Old Testament books, the Jews don't call it the Bible. They would call it the Torah, the books of um, Moses, the Pentateuch, all those different things, depending on, you know, uh, what branch of uh, Judaism and all those different things. But really, uh, the Old Testament scriptures, as we call it in, you know, the, the, the Christian world, the Old Testament, uh, part of the Bible is what the Jews used to basically decide that, okay, they're going to follow Jesus, right? This is what proves this is the person that we should really sacrifice everything for and follow, right? So without the Bible, really, there is no Christianity. It stops at Judaism. Judaism has the the Old Testament and all those prophets and stuff, you know, God speaking to Moses and all that stuff. Okay, yes, that was before things were written. But now what confirms or points towards Christianity, this quote unquote New Testament, all this stuff confirming that this is actually the person that uh, they were waiting for was the things that they read. So that's why I say without the Bible, without the scriptures itself, you know, whether it be the Old Testament or whatever, you know, the Jews might call it, whatever it is. There is no Christianity because it is the text that confirms Christ being who he is and why this quote unquote new branch of Judaism, uh, was born. Although it's not really a new branch, it depends who you ask. Um, if you speak to Jews, they'll say, yes, this is a breakaway sect or whatever it is. Uh, the Christians will say it is a continuation. Anyways, that is neither here or there. Getting into the point of the Bible. Right. So what is the, the, the whole thing about it? Why is it so important? And I will admit a lot of this is going to sound like circular reasoning. If you don't know what circular reasoning is, it is a logical fallacy. You can Google it and it is a way of thinking. Uh, in the first episode, I spoke about, you know, the, the, the rain. Uh, the grass being wet, therefore it rained. Well, no, not necessarily. Um, the, 
the hose could have turned it on, water balloon could have wet the grass. There's the other reasons. So if you think just because the grass is wet, then it rained, you are committing a logical fallacy. Now, circular reasoning is another logical fallacy, meaning that you are supporting what you are trying to prove with the thing that you're trying to uh, support. So, for example, the Bible is true because the Bible tells me it is, right? That is circular reasoning. You know, up front, any Christian that says, okay, it doesn't sound like circular reasoning, whatever it is, tries to defend it and say, no, it's not circular reasoning. They don't necessarily fully understand what circular reasoning is. So I will definitely admit that up front. This is going to sound like circular reasoning. However, there are external factors that come into it and prop it up. The Bible speaks about itself in a way that brings in external factors that sort of it challenges itself and proves itself in a way that uh, if you bring in the external factors and put it in, yes, Ultimately, it's going to come back to the Bible. So yes, it, it is going to seem like circular reasoning on the outside. However, like I said, just bear with me, listen to the whole thing and see how it all pieces together. And it is a very different circular argument than what we normally uh, see. Okay, so I'll give you an example of circular reasoning that is very easy to spot. And this one is definitely something, okay, this is the best podcast because it is better than all the other podcasts, right? That is circular reasoning. It goes into a circle. So according to that argument, the reason why it is the best podcast is because it is better than all the other podcasts. That is a circular argument. It's circular reasoning. It's propped up by the fact that it is saying that is the best podcast. And it's not saying that has the best production value, the best this, that, you know, other external factors, whatever it is. The reason it's it's making the argument from the statement. Here's another example. Something that you might hear in pop culture and what have you, and I can say this, you know, uh, you know, I eat because I'm fat, and because I'm fat, I eat, right? That is circular reasoning. Well, why do you eat? It's because I'm fat. Well, why are you fat? It's because I eat. You know, we, we see that a lot in like comedy shows and cartoons and stuff. You know, it, it is a joke, but that is a, a great example of circular reasoning. It doesn't really answer the why. The, the statement is propping up within the statement and proving itself within that same sentence, right? Now, when I say something like, uh, the, I know this is true because the Bible says so. Well, how do you know that the Bible is true? It's because the Bible says so. That is circular reasoning. So if you use that argument and everything, you know, a lot of times you, you will hear someone say, well, it's true because the Bible says so. Well, well, how do you know the Bible is true? Because it says so. You know, that is circular reasoning, right? So you really have to put the tests that are in place in order to get outside of that loop because at the end of the day, everything, you can use circular reasoning really to prop up anything. You know, I am the best because I'm better than everyone else, right? You can use that in a million ways. It is a circle, right? So there's no getting out of it. Um, so with this now, we're going to look at all the different things. First of all, let's see what the Bible actually says about itself. It makes some very unique claims that helps to get it out of this circular thing, right? First and foremost, I'll talk about what it is not. These are very common viewpoints. People say what the Bible is and so forth and whatnot. But according to the Bible's own words, what the Bible is not, it is not a collection of fables to teach primitive people some lessons, right? It is not just a book of made up stories that you say, okay, well, yeah, you're not supposed to live by it or whatever. You're supposed to just grasp the concepts. And, you know, that is the point of the book. You know, these, let's say rulers or whoever it was back in the day, one of these people to behave themselves. So they, they created some allegories and fables and stuff that they could understand so that way they would follow the laws, not kill each other and do all sorts of crazy stuff, right? That is a very popular viewpoint. However, 
the the Bible outrules that as why it was written and how it was written. So according to the book, it is not for that purpose, right? So, you know, again, here we go. Now, the Bible is disproving that in itself, right? A lot of people say these are just some abstract concepts. You know, people are trying to communicate difficult things to people and trying to make sense out of their world, whether it be scientifically, whether it be uh, culturally, whatever it might be. And this is how they try to explain it. Right. It is primitive science, primitive history, whatever you want to call it. Right. Now, the Bible definitely rules that out. It does not claim to be that. And it actually claims to be uh, what we'll, we'll we'll touch in a second. Right. And another popular viewpoint is that the Bible is limited by time, location, and culture. You know, it is not for 2021 and the new millennium and going forward and all these different things. And, you know, it doesn't take into consideration all sorts of breakthroughs in science and cultures and, 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 you know, realizing certain things and cultural norms are wrong and all sorts of things, right? Now, it does not claim to do that. Just be bound to time, bound to specific group of people. Now let's take a look at what it does claim to be, what it does claim to do, and going forward, this is how we're going to build it up and test it against itself because it makes some pretty outstanding claims that it, it, it makes it fall apart very quickly if it doesn't hold up to what it claims to be. You know, first and foremost, it claims to be God's word, right? God's word. Now, when a lot of people say, okay, yeah, it claims to be God's words, you know, and, and then all sorts of things start to, you know, different interpretations and, and arguments start to say, well, you know what they really meant with this. But this is what it says about itself and its claim of being God's word. It says that it is God breathed. What that means is it's not just inspired in the sense that, you know, uh, these guys had some cultural, you know, ideas, you know, you shouldn't kill people. So let me figure out a way to put this and, you know, inspired by goodness or whatever. No, when it says inspired and God breathed, what it literally means and explains is that these guys, these regular guys were penning God's word, right? So it would be, for example, if I tell you, okay, leave me a podcast review right now and say, this is the best Christian podcast in the whole wide world. And I give you a whole bunch of list of things to actually put into the review. Now, when you leave that review, it will have your username and your profile and all those different things. So they'll say, okay, yes, this was written by so-and-so. However, those were my words. Those weren't your words. You know, when you leave that review, you literally were writing what I told you to write. Now, you might use your uh, pronunciation, uh, pronunciation, your punctuation. You might use uh, the caps in, 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 in different ways. You might throw an emoji in there. I don't, you know, like, or certain things, you know, when you're writing something that, you know, is uh, in your style, the font, the color, the size, like those different things when you're making a sign or whatever it is. Right. So that is in the way that uh, the Bible claims to be inspired, meaning that, you know, the punctuation, the language and the, the grammar, of course, it is written in Hebrew, the Old Testament and, and Aramaic, you know, the sections when, you know, Daniel's in Babylon. So, yes, that was the language of the time. And it was written by these men in these specific times. However, the words were told uh, to what, what to write. God told them what to write. That is what the uh, the Bible claims to be of itself. It is inspired. You know, the men of old were moved by the Holy Spirit as to write what they wrote. 
Also, it claims to be 100% true, not like 99.9% true, not 80% true, not 50% true, 25% true. It claims to be 100% true. Therefore, if one thing is off, the whole thing should be dismissed. That's literally the claim that it makes, right? It makes that claim about itself. So if, if, if for whatever reason, you know, there's different, you know, churches, different denominations, different groups, different sects and all sorts of things that say, well, yeah, that's all good. This is fine and dandy, but this particular passage we don't like. However, that really doesn't make sense within the context of the Bible because the Bible itself says that if one thing is wrong, then everything should be thrown out. And it's similar to like the law, right? You know, the, the Bible makes reference to the law. It's either you keep the law or you break the law. There's no in between. You know, for, I'll give you a better example, something that you, you can uh, more understand. You can't be a little pregnant. You can't be somewhat alive. You can't be uh, a little bit dead. You can't be uh, almost a virgin. You can't be almost always. Like these types of things can't can't coexist. So it's either it's it's true or it's not true. So if one little piece is off, then well, it's not true, and that's the claim that it makes about itself which is a very bold statement, right? No history book, no mathematics books, no science books, nothing makes that claim that, okay, if, for example, a theory, let's say a scientist comes up with a theory, theory of gravity, whatever it is, tries to explain how gravity actually works, which is actually pretty cool because we still don't really understand gravity, but that's another subject, another podcast, another topic altogether. But imagine, now Einstein writes his paper up on gravity, trying to explain what gravity is, and he says, well, if any of this is wrong throughout the whole thing, it's either it's all or nothing. Like No scientific paper, no history book, no math book, nothing makes that claim. But that's what the Bible claims about itself, that if a little bit is off, throw out the whole thing. Now, that is a very unique claim. So we have the inspiration and we have the, the, the claims about itself, meaning that if any of it is off, throw it all out. Now, let's talk about a little bit. Uh, about the actual inspiration aspect of it. Now, it says the men of old, these are what we call prophets, right? They're the ones who received God's word, right? You say, okay, why didn't God just speak to the people directly and all sorts of things? Well, you know, um, with just summarizing it really quickly, God used to speak to Adam and Eve, and even in the days of Moses, God was speaking to people. However, they were so terrified by it by the time of the days of Moses that they literally, you know, uh, asked God not to do that, and then they commun- he communicated through them through uh, other means because they were doing their wrongs, their foolishness, what have you. And I'm just summarizing a lot right now. And they were so terrified by that. Just think about it. You know, just imagine you're doing your, like your whatever wrong task it is. And like the sky opens up and God starts shouting at you that, you know, you should not be doing that. You know, it was terrifying to them. So these people literally asked not to be addressed like that again, because they, they literally almost fell down dead out of fear out of that situation. So, uh, from that point forward, God communicated through prophets. These were holy men that he selected, not perfect men because they all had flaws, every single one of them, uh, even Moses himself, right? And he communicated to the people through them, whether it be uh, verbally or uh, writing. You know, eventually everything was written down. And that is how the Bible came to be is the, you know, 
these men proved themselves. Now, as far as proving themselves, let's talk about how they were proving themselves. Because nowadays, there's a whole bunch of people running around saying that they're prophets and all sorts of stuff. But it is nothing like these men of old. Like the the these prophets really prove themselves because no clown could just say, "Okay, you know, I'm a prophet of God," and start saying some stuff. Because, well, first of all, it was a death sentence if you were wrong. Um, but also the fact that now how they prove themselves was, you know, with signs and wonders. People say like, why don't all these crazy things like the parting of the Red Sea and all those things happen these days? Well, the reason why, you know, possibly over a million people were willing to follow Moses is because of the plagues of Egypt, parting the Red Sea, all these physical supernatural things that proved, okay, there is something special about this guy. He's definitely not just some, uh, you know, Joe Schmo that wants to start a church, right? Let me follow this guy. And that is why these people challenged the most powerful nation in the time, Egypt, and to leave, right? And st- do all this stuff. It's because the signs and wonders that follow, that's what actually proved. And of course, Moses wrote the, the first uh, books of the Bible and so forth and whatnot, right? But all throughout the Old Testament, when these prophets uh, were speaking, you know, the different examples to prove that like these weren't just like your average run-of-the-mill dudes, right? They were bringing down fire from heaven. They were controlling rain, sometimes years at a time, no, no, uh, no rain falling and then commanding rain to fall. They were, uh, you know, food was coming from the sky, such as like Moses with the manna and all that stuff, uh, getting water out of a rock, you know, all these different things, right? You're staring in a desert and here comes free flowing water, a river out of a giant rock, right? These are the things that like the, the, these people saw to say, okay, what this man is speaking, he's obviously he is from God, right? It wasn't just like some, it wasn't just some general, okay, uh, in the future, you're going to be prosperous type of uh, prophecies. Oh, you're going to have a child. No, these were very specific and miraculous things that were, well, you know, was happening in the day. Let's even fast forward to the, 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 the New Testament with Paul and Peter and Jesus and all these people. They were doing things like, okay, we speak about like healing today. Like a lot of times people say, oh, yeah, you know, uh, the preacher paid for me and my headache went away and all these different things. And it was a miracle. Well, yeah, I'm sure. Well, you know, it is very possible that, yes, God removed that headache from you, but that is not the type of miracle or healing that's going to get millions of people to follow and, you know, put their life on the line, right? Someone says, okay, um, uh, God healed me of a headache. Well, that is not reason to say, oh, wow, now I'm ready to, you know, put my life on the line for the Roman Empire and risk death because, you know, you said God healed you of a headache. No. Now, in these times, like the type of healings and miracles that we're seeing was like the blind having sight. Now, a guy that was literally 30, 40 years, everyone knew him to be blind. They saw him in the community. He couldn't see, but now, boom, all of a sudden he could see. That is a miracle. A guy that was born crippled is now running around thanking God. Okay, that's going to get people's attention. Uh, a leper, now that is a death sentence, an incurable disease with physical lesions all over their body. Jesus touches them and he heals. Now, that is a type of thing that is definitely going to catch notice. This isn't just, okay, uh, I felt bad. I was feeling tired. I was feeling, you know, a stomach ache or whatever. Like these are truly just ridiculous miracles. And now when these men speak, people are going to listen. They're going to follow and take what they say as God's word. So what does the Bible say about prophets, like true prophets and what have you? And again, this might sound like circular reasoning, but what the Bible says about a trap, uh, a prophet is a true prophet. A prophet of God is never wrong. So if he is wrong, 
something he says does not come true, he is not a prophet of God, right? Now that sounds like, oh, okay, well, yeah, that that makes it impossible for him to miss. Okay, yeah. So there's a lot of people claiming to speak on behalf of God and all sorts of things. For example, I remember uh was 2000, I forget the exact year, but anyways, uh, they said that the world's going to end on May something, not the Mayan one, but there was another one, right? And, you know, the guy said, okay, you know, God told him specifically all through history, you can find different people that say God told him that, you know, specifically that the world is coming to an end on this date, Jesus is going to return, so forth and whatnot, right? All through history. Needless to say, the Bible says no man knows the day or the hour. So, you know, the Bible itself says that whoever is telling you that is wrong. But, Anyways, those people that were claiming to have the word from God when they were wrong, okay, never listen to them ever again. And that's what the Bible says because they have proven themselves to not be prophets of God, right? A prophet is never wrong. So again, that might sound like circular reasoning, but here is now the true test, right? A true prophet is saying very, very specific things. How, Like I said, they're proving themselves with the, these miracles and so forth and whatnot in the cases of, you know, the, the examples that I gave. But now when it speaks about the future, future telling is, you know, prophet really is just the mouthpiece of God. Now, a lot of times people say a prophecy, like, you know, think of the matrix and telling the future and all that stuff is still, oh, here's the prophecy, you know. Um, but prophets now as the mouthpiece of God, you know, one of the signs that they might have is telling the future. Right. And these aren't just general, uh, general, uh, you know, prophecies such as, you know, um, I have a feeling that somebody in this room in uh, within the next uh, year is going to have a doctor tell them that they have high blood pressure. Right. That is probably half the room. Right. Uh, there is somebody in this room right now that is uh, feeling insecure. Right. Again, that's probably half the room. There is somebody in here right now that is probably having trouble with their finances. That is definitely more than half the room, right? Now, that's what we see a lot of in church and so forth and whatnot. But these prophets, now, they I'll give you an example. Prophecies about Jesus, Old Testament prophecies about Jesus, which makes it, you know, it completely different than the generalizations and stuff that... Uh, we see today when they have prophecy schools and all sorts of stuff. But, you know, um, anyways, going into this, a prophecy of Jesus, that he would be a descendant of David, the tribe of Judah, born to a virgin in the town of Bethlehem. He would be put to his death and so forth and whatnot. These are very specific things. So here is a uh, a, a telling of a person that is coming. You know, first of all, how many descendants of David would be born to a virgin, right? That alone eliminates everyone. But just in case there was another one born to a virgin, this virgin gave birth in the town of Bethlehem. This virgin would have a son that would be put to death and all of these different things. And I'm just brushing through it. There's, you know, probably hundreds or thousands of different elements to it, but those are very specific things. So the people in those days who, you know, knew what to look for, for prophecies and so forth, it was very easy to convince them that, okay, boom, this is Jesus, the Messiah. This is the person that we're going to follow. We're, we're going to be known as Christians. And so because we are like Christ, we're following him and we will put our life on the line because of it, because the, the book confirms that that this person, one person could not have all these things. 
uh, in line. And that's why they were willing to follow him put to death. And then, of course, all the things that he was doing, showing to them and the life change that they were having within themselves. There was so much put together. Now, you might be wondering, does that happen today? Is there any prophecies? Now, a lot of the book is in the past tense, meaning those prophecies were fulfilled within Jesus, right? Because a lot of them... The majority of the prophecies were pointing towards Jesus, right? There are other things such as, you know, uh, different empires and stuff being pointed to uh, throughout the Bible and all sorts of different things. But I'll tell you uh, now about the future, right? That there are prophecies still in the book. And that's why I say it is a very unique book. And it says, if anything is wrong throughout the whole thing. And uh, the end in Revelation, which is the last book, which is a book of prophecy. And, is you know, a lot of people say it's all mystic and all sorts of crazy stuff going on there and anything. But I'm not going to go into all of that. But what I will tell you is that in that book, it references the Jews having to stop the sacrifices in the temple. Right now, the Jews... Now, that passage and everything was a lot of, you know, especially uh, before the last 100 years, there was a lot of debate as to what it meant and prophecy in the future and all that stuff that, you know, might be written in Revelation. What does that possibly mean? It has to be all figurative. It has to be all this and metaphoric and all this. And it brought in a lot of skepticism about the Bible and the truth of it and all that, those matters because mainly because, okay, the, the, the Jews have to do their sacrifices in the temple in a very specific location in Israel and the temple, God told them exactly where and that's the only place that they could do it. However, they were kicked out by the Roman Empire. The temple was destroyed and they were scattered abroad in the year 70 AD, right? So between 70 AD until the end of World War II, there was no Israel. There was no uh, Jews in that region. And they there was no likeliness of, of them having to, you know, have a temple to make those sacrifices. So the actual stopping of it could not be fulfilled. So people for, you know, hundreds of years started to alter what that possibly meant and all sorts of different things. Well, now, as we see, there is a nation of Israel and all these different things. So people that held firm onto that were saying, well, I don't know how it's going to happen, but the only way that could happen is if the Jews are there, they have their temple, they're in Israel and all these different things for it to stop, right? Because something can't stop if it can't be started, right? So, you know, they weren't there. And because of that, there, you know, for centuries, there was a whole bunch of debates about how, you know, what, what did that mean? Is the Bible wrong now? Did things change? Did we miss the boat? Like what happened, right? Well, after World War II, you know, with everything with the Jews, all the uh, horrible, horrible things that they went through. And, you know, they were scattered abroad. They had no home. And because the UK, uh, you know, Great Britain, whatever, had Palestine as one of their territories, they ended up reestablishing Israel, sending all the Jews back there, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I'm fast forwarding through thousands of years of history, right? So now, of course, it comes to the point where they're saying, okay, well, I guess the Bible is right. It is on track now that the the Jews are back in Israel. The Jews are there. However, there is no temple, right? So one claim that I could say, you know, again, I'm fast forwarding through a lot of information, but a future event that is in the Bible that we are looking for based on what the Bible says is that the Jews will have to stop their sacrifices at the temple. Therefore, if you are a person that believed in the Bible and was following the Bible all along and never lost faith in the Bible, you would know that one day the Jews would have returned to Israel. And of course, now you know that the uh, temple will have to be rebuilt because there is no way that they can be stopped from doing something in the temple when the temple is not currently standing. So, 
you know, that is just an example. But throughout the Bible, there's a whole bunch of specific events and specific things to look for, to know. And that is why it is very unique. And it makes that claim that if any part of it is incorrect, it doesn't happen like it is throw out the whole thing. That is very unique. That is that is no other book that I know of makes that claim. So you have these modern churches discrediting the Bible, saying, oh, that's old school. It doesn't happen like that anymore and all sorts of different things. And there's different opinions and different sects and breakaways and arguments and all sorts of things. Right. So, you know, as with anything, there are a bunch of uh, opinions and varied opinions. But I think that one of the most ironic thing is Christians saying that the Bible is outdated. The Bible is uh, not for today and so forth and whatnot, because the Bible itself t- says it is timeless. God's word uh, does not change. It is not just a book written by man. It is literally God's word. And there's all these different signs and all these different things to go into it. And it makes a lot of claims about itself. So when I say circular reasoning, yes, it sounds like circular reasoning because the Bible is proving itself. However, it makes some claims externally that you can put into it and say, okay, well, you can test it. You can see if it is true. However, the number one reason why Christians faith is built upon the Bible and why they bring up the Bible and all these different things is because ultimately that is the anchor for all of the faith and all of the beliefs. At least it should be anyways, because for example, Jesus, right? There are other books, there are other, there are other things that speak about Jesus and reference Jesus. But as far as the, the significance that the Christians hold to Jesus, the source of that information is within the Bible. Now the debate is, is that book trustworthy? Is it uh, saying he is who he is? Because if with, without the Bible, there is no Jesus as a savior of the world, right? I mean, you can find him in other books. You can find him in historical sources. You can find that he existed and so forth and whatnot, which I'll go into in a different episode. However, the Bible is the source for really the Christian faith. So that's why I say without the Bible, there really is no Christianity. So I covered a lot of ground. I was all over the place. I covered a lot of history, a lot of viewpoints. But yeah, that is the importance, the significance of the Bible. And that is the the, the, the matter and source of a lot of argument, debates. But yes, for a Christian, the Bible should be revered because it makes a claim that if one part of it is wrong, discard the whole thing. That is, you know, it's very... Uh, crazy. Now, of course, you're going to get into the whole thing and say, okay, does that mean you're just following blind, whatever it says that, you know, um, you know, I'll get more into that as, you know, different episodes come off, like different points, you know, there's things that we don't understand, but ultimately it, it is the foundation of the faith. So if you cannot re- really be a Christian without accepting the Bible or believing the Bible. The two just just don't go hand in hand, right? It it just because even Jesus used the scriptures to do his teachings, right? He revered the Bible. Like his teachings came from the Old Testament books, right? So, yeah, the Bible as a Christian should be revered because if your leader reveres it as such, then you as a follower should as well. And I think that's a good place to end. I know I covered through a lot of things, like I said, but, you know, uh, just summing it up, the Bible, Christianity, it is inseparable.